Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. In a world... Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who's it? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world... Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so... Anyway, fuck yeah, pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron, we both do. Of course. I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. 
The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Again, the magic of the internet. And again, another face I haven't seen in a really fucking long time. Man, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Uh, well, my name is Sean. Uh, and right now I'm uh, a flight dispatcher for a regional airline called uh, Pascan Aviation. And uh, we fly out of uh, Montreal and we do most of the uh, east east coast of quebec and uh, a little bit of a northern part of quebec and that's pretty much it nice uh, pilot in waiting so hopefully in the next uh, four months five months i i should be in a uh, in a sob 340 uh, oh nice yes yes carrying passengers around and getting my uh, atpl on well on its way Dude, that's badass. Uh, um, first off, I haven't. I don't think you and I have seen each other. I think we determined pre-podcast almost eight years since the last time I saw you. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. The last time I saw you, you were doing an amazing impression of two people, either Jesus or the dude <laughs> from the Big Lebowski. So your look has changed a little bit because, uh, um, yeah, you, you, we could have nailed you up on a cross or or given you a, a, a what it was. A, what did he drink? A white Russian. A white Russian. That's right. Uh, <laughs> In fact, there's a. It's really funny. Um, uh, like the summer before I left Dubai, uh, there was a pajama party here, not too far from where I'm working currently, uh, at a drop zone. And uh, I was like, I got the hair. Let me go pull out a uh, a wardrobe. Um, and I was like, I'm gonna change this color to brown to try and match Big Lebowski's. Uh, overcoat and I was like okay I got the hair let me get that goatee going and then unfortunately I did not have all the mix uh, to do the white Russian but I showed up and just as you said it was either your Big Lebowski or your Jesus and most people who saw Big Lebowski the movie they're like you're that guy and everyone else who did not see it, they're just like, you're Jesus. <laughs> I was like, okay, so. <laughs> All right, Jesus in a bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So um, people are wondering why the fuck we're talking about uh, Jesus or the Big Lebowski. Um, we're uh, we're going to talk a bit about uh, skydiving, obviously. But I always like to ask my guests how they got started in anything extreme, not necessarily just jumping, but what led you towards want to wanting to jump out of an airplane? Uh, I think uh, I think that that starts off with uh, me being in the cadets with uh, with my brother and some friends uh, for uh, like the U.S. doesn't really have cadets, right? No, not really. No. Well, OK, yeah, not okay, like that. So, right. So so basically it's uh, for adolescents who um, uh, wish to learn about 
the military system. Uh, you'll do a few things uh, military with the military, but you won't necessarily go to the point where they're going to train you to be a soldier. Hmm. Uh, you'll learn how to march. You'll do some crafts, um, some outdoor stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and one of the uh, uh, opportunities that I ended up getting was uh, how to jump out of a plane out of a c-130 really and yeah and this was at what age uh at that time i was 16 oh wow yeah at that time i was 16 uh so my brother ended up going first and uh, hence hence airborne shirt airborne shirt yeah yeah (laughs) awesome Uh, so my brother yeah my brother went there first uh unfortunately he did not pass uh and so my friend and i were just like okay well why don't we give it a try and i was like yeah, I'm in. Uh, we both graduated. He was a, a year ahead of me. I was the following year. And three years later, he's like, how about we go and get our skydiving license? I was like, I'm not doing anything right now. All right. I'm doing is working. Right. Let's go have some fun. Nice. And we we went up. We found this uh, one spot. um, it's called Mile High Parachuting, and it's not the one in Colorado. Hmm. Uh, it's just outside of Ottawa. We uh, we hit it up, and I was young, full of cash, and I was like, hey. "I'm gonna drop how 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 much money you want for this course, and I'll just do it." Did it in a weekend because it was a little small local drop zone, and pretty much got hooked right away. It's funny because at the same year. I had read, I actually had joined the military as a reservist and I did the summer gig, uh, did some training with them, uh, with the military. And I was like, I need to find, I need to make this decision. Now I I understand that in the military, you can still be a parachutist. uh, But I was like, I'd rather have a lot more fun in my life. Not to say that being in the military isn't or cannot be fun. Just I was like, I need to I need to find something that's really going to drive me to go beyond. And I think this this was the way to do it. So, sure. um, I mean, I suppose the military can have some aspects of fun, but let's face it, it's a very different kind of fun. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's very regimented at all. And and uh, um, I wanted to ask, by the way, was your brother pissed off when you passed the course and he didn't? Uh, I not with me. I think he was pissed with himself. Uh, because so this is if, an older he, older brother. Yeah, he's he's three years older than me. I only have one. Oh, ouch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so on the on the mock tower, you you have to well. I'm pretty certain that in the U.S. military, when they do their jump course, they probably have to learn how to do winter jumps, most likely. I would imagine. Yeah. So the snowshoe rackets, we we have them. We we actually have to jump with the snowshoe rackets to mimic jumping out in winter warfare. <laughs> and during the mock tower, my brother's uh, snowshoes, the the back end sticks out about like this much right and he clipped it he clipped the side of the the mock tower and threw him in a flip and they said okay 
we we obviously cannot allow you to pass even though you were like literally on the last jump because this would have caused you to flip and probably entangle you in your parachute and anything can happen so oh he must he must have been so mad yeah he was he wasn't very happy and then to have (laughs) his younger brother by three years come and and do it afterwards just kind of had to sting a little (laughs) yeah i had i actually had a hard time in the landing part uh because we have these um these swings I forget what we call them, but we have these swings, and they're they're meant to simulate you penduling and then hitting the ground. Right. And I always had a tendency to like separate my legs before hitting the ground. And my my sergeant was like drilling into me that like you do that, you're gonna break your legs. And I was like, I need to find a way to break that habit. Sure. So he stuck he stuck his gloves between my boots and he said, I want you to hold that glove between your boots the entire way when we're doing these drills. On the test, I can't give them to you. And I was like, okay, fine, fair enough. So I practice, practice, practice. And then I guess that that was a key moment of like, oh, just imagine that there's a pair of gloves that you have to hold with your boots. You know, it's kind of funny, right? It's those goofy little things that sometimes really good instructors do that seems a little off the wall that stick with you fucking forever. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that it sounds to me like that was a pretty awesome instructor. Uh, very much. In fact, he he was also the, uh, the, the instructor for my buddy the year before. And uh, I mean, I don't know how I got the, the nickname, but. I was called Hammer. (laughs) (laughs) There could be a lot of reasons for that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But in the end, like it was, it was so good. Um, Loved the experience. I got um, three Hercules jumps and two Kaza jumps. So your first five jumps were all massive aircraft. Yeah, I mean that's pretty cool. That's it's wild. And now what did you do your AFF course in? You said it was a small drop zone. So what, a 182, 206? Exactly that. I Actually, it's, that's that combo. Uh, it was actually a 205, but eh. I mean, shit, that's uh, you go from a, 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 a 130 to a little jungle gym in the sky with a rubber band on the front of it. <laughs> that's right. I mean, there were courses, and, and I've got uh, hundreds of Cessna jumps. They're a lot of fun, but uh, was that... Was that weird or scary going to something like a Cessna? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, in fact, um, I guess we just had such good weather. I didn't feel any turbulence. I didn't feel any jostle. No. Uh, the pilot was solid. Like He's a, still a good buddy of mine, and I'm trying to get in with uh, Jazz Aviation. That's where he flies, and I'm just like... You got to push my resume, dude. You got to push it. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny before we get too far off topic. It's um, it's really cool to see so many people that I knew as skydivers that have transitioned into aviation in one way or another. I mean, it kind of yes. seems to, to have sucked us all in because I did the same thing. You know, I was a pro skydiver for many, many years before I started flying um, and it just seemed like such a natural progression, which I'm sure it did to you as well. It it felt natural in the sense that uh, some of the terminology was there. 
um, I understood without doing the calculations, I understood the weight and balance. Mm. Uh, I understood that like there's uh, there's stall speeds that can happen. Sure. Um, the then uh, you know when you're when you're thinking of a parachute, obviously if you look from a profile perspective, it's the exact same shape as a wing. Sure. As an airplane wing, and so you're like, well, this is a very familiar feeling. Uh, there is lift. Mm. Uh, there is the. I mean, there's the all flow that's. Oh yeah, lift and glide and, and all that stuff. You're flaring at the bottom of everything, so it's absolutely it's its own little foldable airplane. Airplane, it really is. Yes. Yeah. And, and so when I brought that into my uh, me learning to to fly the plane, uh, my instructor get at this, and I was like, well, the concepts are very familiar to me, and so I just took what I knew and apply it. Mm. Uh, and then it was the other things that I didn't know about, like the coordination of using a aileron and your rudder to make that perfect turn, you know, like, okay, so if the ball goes one way, well, you got to step on that ball in order to come back coordinated. So those I didn't really understood. Sure. I, I understood each and in individual parts, but sure. To make that combination, that was that was a tricky part. So comes pretty quickly though, doesn't it? I mean the it, the the coordination portion of of learning to fly an airplane. I, I'd like to think two or three flights into it, you start to understand the concept, and by you've got by the time you've got a good ten flights as a student, it feels natural. You start to feel when you're um, unbalanced. Yes, yes. Um, I know they say that like you're inside the cockpit and if you go in into some orientation that you're not familiar like Mm. i guess maybe i've been so used to as a skydiver to be in such an uh a different orientation than upright sure that i know that well i've I'm, i'm tilted you know sure and i know that Sometimes you don't always supposed to have those sensations, but I guess my body learned enough sure. of it. Sure. Uh, so I was like, hey, I, I don't feel upright. Oh, look out. Oh, exactly. I, I wasn't upright. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. I, was, I always got a so. kick out of the unusual attitude practice. And I know that there, um, there are a couple of pilots that I know that uh, when they were learning, that used to give them a lot of trouble. And it didn't really give me any trouble. Um, and for anybody that doesn't fly and uh, practicing unusual attitudes is you cover your eyes or look down, look anywhere but outside the aircraft while your instructor sitting in the other seat makes banks and turns and climbs and dips all over the place to disorient you and then yes. sets it in a certain orientation. And you have to fix it by adjusting pitch, bank and power to get back to stable flight. Um, mm-hmm. And that could throw some people off, but I, I think you're right. I think skydiving absolutely would, if not allow you to um, recognize by sensation, it would allow you to be comfortable with being in something other than straight and level. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Now, before we get too far ahead on the flying stuff, you were a kid with a lot of money, which right there is just weird. Like, what were you doing for a living to make that money? Uh, I was a uh, professional mover. 
So throughout high school, college, I uh, I was moving, and so staying at my dad's place. Nice. Uh, just banking money. Um, the what pays did, was good. What did dad think when you uh, decided to start throwing it all into skydiving, which is a, just a money pit? Uh, <laughs> I don't think he understood the how expensive the sport was. I think it was just more concern about like, well, what happens if the parachute doesn't open? And right. so after doing the course, it, that's when I could explain to him, well, there's a lot of, you know, safety levels, right? Uh, you don't, you don't just throw yourself out. Like, first of all, in the course, you've got two instructors. Uh, then once you understand some of the safety fundamentals, uh, well, let's talk about the gear. You have two very perfectly good parachute. One is the main, the other one's the reserve. And should there be, should you become unconscious? Should um, something happens, you can't open your main? Well, we have this little electronic device, the AAD, that's just going to do what it's designed to do. And that's to open the reserve. Mm. Uh, so... Also, being as a rigger, I understand the process, uh, the, the deployment process, the packing. Uh, sure. The thought, yeah, yeah, like like you everything know, that I. It, it, I don't know about you, but it was kind of funny. Um, it was easier for me to explain to my family how safe skydiving was than it was to explain to them how much less safe being the pilot was <laughs> they didn't get it i'm like no you guys don't understand if i lose a wing on the airplane i don't have a spare wing to throw out there. <laughs> no you don't you're gone yeah you know so it was very difficult i mean they, they got it but uh i'm like no there's so much more that can go wrong with an airplane than with a parachute system the parachute system is so simple um, in a in a an amazing ingenious way, right? You know, I mean, uh, all these years and all these uh, test dummies that have have done these amazing things and put together modern skydiving systems have just done an incredible job. So explaining that over, you know, aircraft flying, I, I, it was hard to have to go. Oh, guys, I know you feel good that I'm not jumping full time anymore, but here's the reality. <laughs> Like, it's a lot more likely that your son gets killed in a crash of an airplane than a parachute. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. So one day I was doing a walk around. Uh, and, and the simplest thing, right? You're doing your walk around and you've got the, uh, uh, the wires, uh, the locking wires. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes those are so critical that like, if it's broken, you have to snag it. Yeah. Right? Because all those vibration could loosen that nut off and then there goes your wheel. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. so it's the little things, good. right? Well, and it's pre-flight, 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 right? It's gear check, gear check, gear check. Um, the only difference is the gear check with an airplane is a fuckload bigger. <laughs> yes. So now you and I initially met, um, in Dubai. Yes. Uh, and Dubai is not the uh, usual place you find a Canadian kid that started skydiving and and such. How the hell did you end up in, of all places, the Middle East? So, uh, originally, my goal was to try and find a job in Europe. I had no idea about the Middle East. 
Uh, did not even know that Dubai had a drop zone. All I knew was I want to go to Europe. And I knew that Spain offered jump year round. So I was like, okay, let me try and send my resume out to uh, Skydiving Puri Brava. Mm. So I sent it out and I got no replies. And my aunt and uncle, uh, they have a villa in Greece. And they're like, well, if you're not going to be doing anything and you're still trying to look for a job in Europe, why don't you come to Greece uh, on the island, enjoy your time. And if you get a call, then it'll be easier for you to go to Spain, work as a packer, then to fly out of, say, Montreal or Toronto and then go to Europe. Sure. And I thought, hey, that's a fantastic idea. I get to see a different country. And why not? The Mediterranean Sea, right? Like, right. let's do it. So I get there. I spent two months, didn't hear anything. My uncle was like, well, I need to go back to Dubai. Uh, so why don't you, again, come to Dubai with us? You're more than welcome to stay. And... If you ever get a call, it'll be easier still to go from Dubai to Spain. I said, sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> no, Another no, country. I can't, I can't lose. Yeah, I can't lose. It just so happened that before I left Canada to go to Greece, uh, Canpera had put out a publication with the Team Evolutions cover, like they're, they're, doing a formation over top of, of Dubai. But I mean, it just looked like any other airport. Sure. And it didn't, didn't seem like there was any uh, facilities to showcase that it was a drop zone. It, it sure. literally just looked sand. And I was like, well, maybe it was just a one-off, but hey, let's, look to see if there's any skydiving related there so skydive in dubai and what do you know <laughs> skydive dubai was actually a thing so i submitted my resume and i was talking to uh omar's wife uh forget her name but she's like well uh hey come on down uh let's have a chat and uh you know if you're just looking to pack we can we can probably work something out sure so i met up with uh alan and uh he's like do you want to freelance pack and i was like sure uh so for two months i was freelance packing and uh had such a blast showed my my enthusiasm for work uh good work ethics and uh uh after two months he's like well do you want a job and i was like hell yeah uh <laughs> this is fantastic i had i was i'm i'm in uh, I just said, all I got to do is just go back home. Let me close down like some bank accounts, make sure that, you know, I've, I've got nothing to pay back the government and then, uh, send me the visa, send me a time, send me a date and let's do it. Nice. Took a little bit longer, but in November of that year, uh, finally showed up, uh, and started working as a ground controller. Yeah. You know, and that's, again, that's, that's when you're in my cross a pass crossed not too long after that because uh, that was what year was that uh it was the 2000 ipc uh now alan was actually 
ground control for that competition. Uh, but after the competition, because he told me that I needed to shadow him mm. to try and understand the whole concept of being a ground controller. Sure. It's not something we actually have in Canada. Um, right. And the term ground controller is actually for a completely different <laughs> thing. Sure. It's weird. So after the DIPC, after Christmas, New Year's, we sat down. We actually started to uh, work a lot. Uh, I had um, Ernesto show me a little bit more of the ropes as well. And uh, and then, yeah, so for like a year and a half, I was just uh, ground controlling uh, you guys around. And then we uh, we we went to Jordan. And, yeah, man. Uh, that was yeah. another fun experience. You got to have some adventures. And it was to explain how they did the ground controlling in Dubai and why they did the ground controlling to the level that they did. Um, it Dubai is like operating a really busy drop zone in the middle of Central Park. Like it's the... It, it, as far as air traffic goes, it's the worst fucking place on the planet for a drop zone because <laughs> it's two international airports and an air force base all right there. Um, not to mention um, a quarter mile away, you've got buildings that go up to 1200 feet, <laughs> a lot of them. So uh, the ground controller, of course, uh, was the ground controller was needed to keep um us and the, the the separation in the aircraft and any aircraft that might be flying by the helicopters with all the VIPs around. So you guys were really necessary. There oh, that was, yeah. And, and that was a lot of fun uh, coordinating with like knowing, okay, Oh, helicopters on this way. Yeah. Just please stay, uh, stay uh, next to the buildings. We've got jumpers on the way down. Right. Um, and then I of course, remember, you had to listen to us pilots bitch all the time. <laughs> but but it was fun. It was it kept me entertained because while one is up and the other one's on the ground, like I got nothing else to do. Yep. Right? Um and uh uh <laughs> but it, it it it's so much fun because like well one it, it it's kind of funny. Um uh, I would, that's, that's with you guys. That's how I learned some of my radio communication skills. Sure. And, and as much as there was a lot of bitching and not, not so many curse words, but you knew that <laughs> you use, you use a, a specific word to relay that curse word. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah right. The, the like, meaning like, always comes across. That's right. You're like, oh, okay, nice. So the back and forth communication again uh that also happened with some of the cadets because that you have to learn some of the radio stuff so there was a familiarity sure. with, with that and so it, it was, was it was awesome it used to be a lot of fun because we'd get to joke around a lot as well and and uh, uh as you know dana would be on the radio quite often <laughs> and she'd ask hey are you gonna need fuel and the other guy'd pipe up i'm gonna need fuel too and she'd come back with i'll take it from both of you and just <laughs> in that way and you're you're hearing this stuff going. We're in the Middle East. Holy shit! We are. If any of the wrong people are listening, we're in a lot of fucking trouble. <laughs> it was just innuendo and fun all the time. And you're right. We wouldn't cuss, but you still knew "fuck" is the word in that guy's head, even if it's not coming yes. out of his mouth. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Everything is recorded. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, they know exactly what's going on. And then mix into that, of course, we as pilots had to uh, play nice talking to air traffic control all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you'd get those random aircraft that are cutting through our airspace. And God only knows how important the person in that helicopter is. So you got to be nice to them, too. So uh, I remember Stan, the uh, helicopter pilot. Uh, he was great. He, you know, whenever they had a chance, they they bring the helicopter over and just be like, dude, you want to jump out of my helicopter just as I'm about to leave? Yeah. Sure. Why not? Hey, Dana, let's hook this up. Okay. <laughs> Some of the opportunities, and I mean, you got to see a lot of them as well because you were there s- certainly during the the golden era for the staff. We got to do a lot of cool shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the I was, I was like about a half to uh, three quarters of a year behind uh, mm. of the initial setup. Yep. And um, I still remember when that, that runway wasn't even the long one runway. It was the, the really short one. Yep. Uh, we had uh, a sky van that actually ended up skimming the rocks as it was taken off because it took off overloaded. Sure. Uh, it was insane. Like, well, that was the last time a Skyvan ever flew there, right? Because Highness was on board. Uh, yes. And Highness was the one that was like, fuck that shit. We are never having this aircraft here again. <laughs> and they never flew a Skyvan there for jump operations again because of that. Yes. I think that's also when they decided to build the long runway. Yeah. Shortly after, the, uh, I don't, obviously, I, I don't know what goes behind the scenes sometimes but yes that was probably the uh the catalyst to saying like we gotta we gotta build a bigger runway sure yeah and and by long runway it's 1800 feet so (laughs) it's not exactly a long runway i mean it's still uh it it still can be challenging in challenging conditions but it's a lot better than the i want to say it was 12 or 1300 foot dirt strip running across the landing area Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was proper sketchy. (laughs) So you, you, you spent about how long in Dubai? Uh, Five years in total. So that's a good chunk of time. I mean, you walked away from Dubai getting the whole experience. Yes, I did. Yeah. And where Um, did you go from Dubai? So from Dubai, uh, I was like, not to say that I don't want to be in skydiving for the rest of my life, but I was like, I know that if I was to stay in skydiving at 60 years old and only having that as my career, uh, I would probably burn myself out too much. Sure. Uh, I would probably say that as much as the experience is a lot to give, I personally couldn't or, or would find myself not being um, nothing to really show for Sure. To say my kids, you know, like I'd, I'd like to experience a little bit more, a variety of things and be like, sure. well, here's my little nook of my time in this experience and then this experience and then this one. And then from each one of them, I can give that to my kids Sure. Uh, and be like, okay, now that I've given you some stuff, you get to choose however you, you want to go about it. Sure. Sure. Big As time. opposed to if I only stick with one and being like, well, that's all I can give you. Right. Well, 
I'd rather try to expand some of that knowledge and be like, well, you can go into skydiving. Sure. This can happen. You, you want to be a pilot? Do that too. Sure. Um, well, let me ask, when you were in Dubai, because you basically did ground control uh, and you did rigging there as well, yeah? I did, yeah. yeah. So you did those two gigs, but um, that couldn't, at the end of five years, being ground controller is not particularly fulfilling or engaging. I mean, there's got to be a high burnout on doing ground control. Yes. Uh, so after the turning point between ground control and uh, rigging was actually when I had my uh, skydiving accident in 2012. Mm. Uh, it was the it was during the one of the world record attempts for biggest formation in Chicago. Yep. And uh, I recall vividly that uh, I was trying to attempt a 270 and i had done some upper air work back in dubai uh they were good i was being looked after everyone was very happy with what i was doing but i never took into consideration the altitude change Mm. and so the density altitude was now very different sure it was also very hot in Chicago and just flying uh, Sabre 2 135 in Dubai and immediately changing to Chicago. Sure. I didn't know what was going on. So sure. eventually I did this 270 and the visuals, the uh, feedback inputs that I was getting with the parachute, everything was so unfamiliar. Uh, that I ended up doing a high-speed stall in the canopy and mm. ended up uh, compressing my back and shattering it. Ouch. Yeah. So after all of that, amazing. It, it As much as it's a very uncool experience, mm. it still has a level of amazing, of like just what the body ended up experiencing sure and how i was able to recover and then move on sure getting back into the sport human body is incredibly resilient the shit that we've done to ourselves (laughs) it's ridiculous yeah so how how long was the rehab and well first off what did you do what did you have done to uh, repair your back uh well, so I ended up compressing my L3 vertebrae, uh, which ended up shattering completely. Um, there are two parts to the vertebrae. You've got the trunk, um, and then you've got the wings. Mm. And the wings, as my physician was telling me, was that between the trunk and the wings, you've got your spinal cord that goes through it. Um, and the wings ended up shattering into millions and millions of pieces. The trunk where it has the discs was able to hold more of it together. And then what they ended up doing is they fused L, sorry, my L4 was the one that shattered. They mm. fused L3 and L5 together. So I sure. have pins and rods. And so that part of my back is not flexible anymore. Sure. Um, the rehab was the, the moment they, they got, me out of surgery that same day they're like okay 
let's go to rehab. Let's start. Let's get you walking. And I was like, well, either I'm really high on drugs, which I totally was. Sure. But are you sure that that's the wisest decision? Right. I mean, can I can I get even like just one day of recuperation? Right. And they immediately said no. Based on the level of injury I sustained, not only to my bones, but to the spinal cord. Because of all of those shattered pieces, they actually um, lodged themselves in my spinal cord and oh, started Jesus. cutting nerves. Uh, the 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 surgeon literally took every piece of bone out and then started massaging by hand by fingers my spinal cord and nerve endings just to make sure that they're nice and round again so immediately the rehab had it to start to regenerate those connections sure to make sure that the nerves can start to regrow in order so for me not to lose all of my mobility because sure. i'm waking up and i'm like well, my head is fine. My upper body's fine. But for the love of God, I can't move my legs. Oof. That's so freaky. I was like, yeah. But they're like, no, you will be able to move your legs. But we need to get you in rehab right now. The sooner the recovery, the better you're off. So I was like, I don't really have much of a choice. Sure. You're, you've you stuck me in this wheelchair. <laughs> let's let's roll on to the rehab see i would have been like all right i'll do the fucking rehab but i want more of the drugs <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to be really high for all of this please <laughs> yeah uh total total rehab uh at least within the hospital environment uh it was three to four weeks in the states um then uh, another two to three weeks uh, in a hospital by by my place mm. uh, slash rehab. Then it was okay. Now we can loosen it up a little bit. Uh, every every week, maybe twice a week, just come on by. Uh, you you can drive again, which is fantastic. Um, so. No, you're you're good. I mean, you'll have your cane with you, and I yeah, I I picked out uh, as <laughs> I was really into uh, House MD, the the TV show, and yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, this guy always has really badass canes. I need to try and find a badass <laughs> cane myself, <laughs> dude. So, I mean, hey, you make the best of a bad situation, right? That's right. No. You've gone through that kind of rehab, though. You've busted your back. At one point, you are sitting there trying to move your own legs and not succeeding. You get to the point where you're on the the happy side of rehab and decide you're going to still be a skydiver. What was that decision like? Uh, was there even a decision or were you always just, as soon as I'm good, I'm jumping again? As someone who, you know, still has to think logically and rationally about like, well, I just got into a serious accident. Uh, first, let me uh, consult my my surgeon, my, my physician and be like, okay, based on these images, how serious my back is, 
what is the likelihood of me being able to carry on skydiving? Because, I mean, I'm having a lot of fun and I know that people have uh, injured themselves to the point where it's not just once, not necessarily just twice, but three (laughs) and four times and they are continuing jumping. Yep. What, what, What can I do? Obviously, his legal advice is, no, don't jump. <laughs> but I, when he left, the his assistant was there, and he's like, he did a really fantastic job on you. Uh, if your recovery comes back to the point where you're able to walk without any assistant, I can see you being able to, to jump again, for sure. So at wow. least that gave me uh, uh, hope that like okay well now i know my goal my goal is to make sure that my rehab is so good that i can start jumping again nice nice well and of course the funny part is if you start jumping again and you get in another accident the one part you can guarantee is going to be fine is the shit that he fixed (laughs) yeah (laughs) that part's going to be fine (laughs) unless unless you're you who ended up breaking metal. Yeah. From- yeah. I'm still the only person uh, on record as having broken a titan- titanium disc with their spine. Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. Now, I, I need to, I need to get to that. Po- I don't want to damage myself even more, but yeah. if I can pull that off, just like what you did, <laughs> that'd be hilarious well i remember talking to uh talking to the doc who was a bit dumbfounded that we were looking at what we were looking at and this broken disc and and uh he 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 was asking himself he's all i've never seen this before I'm, I'm not sure how this would happen and i'm like well i'm not fucking wolverine so i have no idea but let's figure it out so yeah that was that was not a great reason to have a second surgery for sure now how did all this transition into um, to you? I mean, you became an, a very active jumper again. Yes. So you jumped quite a lot. And then somehow during all of this, you transitioned into full-blown aviation, doing what you're doing now, and then aiming towards being a pilot. How did that all come about? Uh, pilot was the last thing really on my mind. Um, before even making the full transition to Dubai, I actually wanted to be an air traffic controller crazy i was i was having some difficulty passing the online test um i they they, all they said they're looking for was high school diploma yeah i have my high school diploma oh we offer uh in-house training okay teach me how to become an air traffic controller but i guess they were looking for some personality very specific to to the job so after five times of trying to apply, didn't didn't really get too much out of it. So sure. I was like, okay, well, what else can I do in aviation? And I think that's when when I was spoken to uh, Ollie, who flies for Fly Emirates, mm. and he said uh, uh, you could be a, a flight dispatcher. And I was like, oh, that's that's my phone. I'll just just ignore it. Sure, sure, no worries. Uh, a dispatcher, like, okay. a, a dispatcher is an interesting gig. Yes. So when he talked to me about it, he's like, well, you're you're basically the prep work for a pilot before he does any of his actual flying in the airlines. And I was like, 
that sounds cool. You get to fly the routes, planet, uh, observe weather. And all of these are basically some of the things that I would do uh, as a ground controller. Sure. I check the weather. Uh, now, okay, I don't plan the routes because you guys do all of that stuff. But the involvement of, hey, Dean, here's what you have. You've got this on board. Uh, you've got your fuel cool. Um the organizational part was was really attractive, and mm. uh, I when I left Dubai, I went in search for a course to become a flight dispatcher, and uh, did the course. It was very progressive. Went for the tests with Transport Canada, got all of that done. So I started applying, but it didn't really pan out, and nothing was was catching. And so I was like, okay, well. If that's not happening, I need to start maybe thinking, what happens if I was to go back to school? Right. So I went back into science, uh, looking forward to uh, study uh, astrophysics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know it's, a, it's, it's way out there, but I love, uh, once I understood the language of math, I was like, this is a lot of fun. Mm. Like high school math, all you want to do is just play and have fun and sure. all of this. But like as you mature, you're like, oh, oh, now you can start widening widening your your thought process. Sure. And like like math was is is so much fun. Now I'm far from being the best, but I love how you can solve a problem by s- by using math. It's, sure. it's amazing. Sure. I love it. So back in school and finding myself working with this, uh, with this guy, uh, a buddy of mine. And he's like, so you're a skydiver. Do you know any flight schools around? Just so happens someone has suggested to me. Uh, well, actually she, she's like, Hey, um, yeah, I'm a pilot. I took a course here. And I was like, really? Well, so hold on. We're making this connection here. While you were in college in flight school, that same year, I was actually in photography at that same school. That's amazing. Like <laughs> what, what a, what a, you it's know, a small world, small world. So I said to my buddy, I was like, well, Algonquin college has the flight school opportunity. Uh, so Go and have fun. That's that's where you're gonna go. Gets all the information. He comes back and he says, "There is a global shortage of pilots of just over, um, over half a million." Mm. And I was like, "Really? This could be a wicked opportunity." Sure. Um, and and being like, "Let's let's follow." the path of aviation i couldn't get into air traffic controller no one was hiring dispatchers but there's this many people in in pilots a shortage yeah well why not yeah it's 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 a physical world flying is very physical oh yeah i i love it as much as when skydiving is very physical and once you learn 
and know how to fly planes, it's like riding a bicycle. Sure. It's like driving a car. You're, you can parallel your, your, your thoughts, right? So you, you're, you're driving along and you're still doing all of your observation. It's so second nature. And I like that too. Sure. So I was like, okay, let's, let's give it a try. Went for the orientation. Uh, loved it. And I was like, hey, dad, are you willing to help me uh, become a pilot? Sure. And he's like, okay, well, what are the, what are the opportunities after school? And I was like, well, pilots can make in the upwards of over a hundred thousand. Yeah. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> what what happens for retirement? Can you do that? Yeah, they have great benefits uh, and uh, good uh, good retirement packages. Sure. So I was like, yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's let's go to the bank, see if we can get a loan out, and uh, and then. Next awesome. thing I knew, I was in a course, Algonquin College program for two years, and just put all of my 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 focus into into flying and learning awesome. so much. You know, it's it, amazing. It's great too. Um, going into it in, in the direction that you are going, it's funny because there is a, a quite a pilot shortage, but uh, I find at my level. Because all of my flying is over the same airport, up and down, VFR, even though I'm an airline transport pilot, and even though I've got more than 14,000 hours, you would find a job quicker than me um, because all of the stuff that you're learning is geared specifically towards flying in the system. Right. And yes, all of yeah. all of my flying, I mean, I might as well just be barnstorming. You know, it's. <laughs> It's, you know, as far as an airline is concerned, as soon as they see jump pilot, they go, oh, so this guy's just a fucking doing aerobatics in planes. You're not just supposed to do aerobatics in. Okay, fuck this guy. So it's <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it's also very cool, though, that you are able to, you know, make an attempt to go this direction in aviation or that direction in aviation and go into flying where they're going to groom you to be exactly what you need to be to have a yes. really long career in aviation, which is fucking fantastic. Yes. Uh, so with, with that, um, with what you just said right now, like I said, I'm, I'm working for a regional airline as a flight dispatcher. I didn't even think I was going to be there. And yet I find myself doing something that I had a hard time trying to get to. Sure. I'm, in a pilot in waiting position right now. So uh, essentially you do other jobs with the company and as an opportunity opens up, you apply, they bring you in, interview, a sim evaluation. And then once they've got that hole for you, they're, they're going to be like, okay, you, the next day you stop doing dispatching, you're in a plane. Nice. So I'm, I'm really, at, I've already passed the interview. I've done the sim. It, it, the connection that I'm that I'm making here is that as a jump pilot, it's all stick and rudder. Sure. And I did years with out of Toronto. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a great place to learn the little 182. And sure. uh, I I really started to start nailing. Even though it's just a 182, I started nailing my landings. Mm. 
and I had a better understanding of my control of power pitch equals performance. Sure. And when it came to the semi val, they uh, they're like, "Oh, my modeling light just went out." <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, they uh, I, I did I did didn't really do very well in the semi val, but when I did have the engine failure, um, I still had to shoot an approach. Sure. And it turns out it had to be an ILS approach. So as you get closer to the airport, that needle deflection goes by very fast. Oh, yeah. But because I had made all of those takes off and landings. Sure. I was literally one engine and each needle, it was perfect all the way through on a one it. engine in a, in a King Air simulation. And my... Um, the chief pilot was like later on in when we debrief, he's like, "Okay, well, you, we we didn't get the hold. You you didn't you didn't get that part, but your takeoff was solid. Your uh, your flying skills was was there. Like you sure. barely moved uh, deviation from your altitude. Like it was solid. You 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 got that nailed down. So your flying is really good. But what really impressed me the most is how accurate you were with an engine failure mm. all the way down to the touchdown zone. And as like, not anyone, not everyone can really do that. No, but you stuck it because wait, you were a jump pilot. Well, yeah. that's where you get all of your, your landings. It's, it's like, well, I, I've taken a few, uh, um, airline guys on ride alongs over the years in the otter. And, uh, <laughs> a couple of things become apparent. They're very used to checklists and they're very used to this gets done at that time. And, and there's times and markers and all of this. And, and uh, on one particular ride uh, we were flying up and I was turning on to jump run, just turning on the green light um, at 13,000 where we needed to be. And as we start the descent, the jump pilot that's sitting or the, the airline guy that's sitting next to me is like, so, you know, what were you, you, what calculations were you using and what markers to get right there? Cause like you were right there. And I'm like, oh, fuck, we dropped them. <laughs> He's like, what? I'm all, I don't fucking know how we got on jump run. I have no, I, I wasn't paying attention. I'm like, I look at the needles. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. I'm like, I, I do this. I have more takeoffs and landings in one day. Uh, as a, a skydive Dubai or a Chicagoland jump pilot than most airline guys do in a month, probably by quite a lot. And that's yeah. every day. I mean, I think I've logged something like 40,000 takeoffs and landings. So yeah. as far as the stick and rudder stuff goes, you're right. Jump pilots have got that down. Um, for me personally, where I find it difficult as a jump pilot is getting into the system th side of things. So holds and all that stuff. Now, luckily the last few years that I was in Dubai, we were doing uh biannual SIM training. So we were going to Canada uh, in the SIM as well as to LaGuardia to do SIM training for the Sherpa. So I was getting a lot of SIM training in the system, in IFR conditions, shooting single engine approaches and all that stuff. And it's very nice from my angle to know I can do all that stuff. You can teach a stick and rudder pilot how to fly in the system. 
but it's a lot more difficult to teach a system pilot how to fly stick and rudder. Um, right. Not that they're not amazing pilots. It's just if you yank an engine on a twin otter on me and say, put it down on that little strip down there, I- I'm not going to think twice about it. It's going on that yeah. strip. The yeah. airline guy's looking for his checklist and, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So, so there's definitely uh, um, being able to have that stick and rudder experience before you go the direction that you're going now is invaluable because they can teach you how to to fly within the air traffic system and they can mm-hmm. teach you how to hit those holds and the ILS approaches and all that stuff. And all that will come relatively easily for you. But the stick and rudder stuff, that just takes time and flying. You just got to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, usually when we get to this point in the podcast, uh, I ask people for a little bit of advice, and I want to do the same with you. I want to ask um, your advice for people that are just thinking about getting started in jumping, because we've got a lot of low time or people thinking about skydiving that listen to the podcast. Um, I want you to give advice to uh, old fucks like me that might be getting a little bit burned out and wondering how to keep it fresh. And I also want you to give advice to those people that may be suffering through an injury and wondering um, how to think about skydiving moving forward. Right. Okay. Um, I'd say for, for, for the uh, up and coming jumpers, um, when I was teaching at uh, Skydive Toronto as a tandem instructor coach, uh, you, you could very, very much see the same personality of what I was is like, okay, like feed me as much information as possible because I want to get to the very top very quick and this and that. Sure. I think it's, it's uh, the saying goes a long way slow it down Hmm. and be methodic about what you want to do because the next thing you know you're going to be up there so fast by starting very slow yeah and you're gonna wondering like where did the time go Hmm. it'll be so quick so slow it down Hmm. listen to your coaches uh and your instructors they they have amazing knowledge and don't always stick to one person definitely uh pick someone else's brain on on different perspective and uh and and enjoy the ride sure it's so good it's so good how about for us Uh, old fuckers yeah uh so what I found myself when transitioning from, hey, I, I'm going to be becoming a pilot, I had to learn to step back from the sport. Uh, never gave up jumping, but I'm very happy to say that, look, we need to sometimes take more time for old people to recover from sure. a weekend of jumping. Well, by all means, do it. Sure. Um, if you have to take a year off, because physically jumping is 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 very demanding. Sure. It takes a lot of energy. Um, I remember the drop zone owner at Mile High. Uh, he's like, I don't really have that many jumps. Yeah, I've got about five thousand, six thousand, but once in a while, I just didn't jump for a year. 
sure. because I wanted to make sure that I had the longevity to go well into 60, 70 years old. Sure. Um, the, uh, the drop zone owner at uh, Skydive Toronto, same thing. He's pushing 73. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't jump anymore. He flies his planes, but he's like, take your time. And as long as you do those, you know, if you can push the 50 jumps in, in, a, in a summer's time. Sure. Just make sure that those 50 jumps are absolutely meaningful and joyful. Yeah. Quality so, over quantity, right? Quality over. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and that's how I'm, I'm starting to learn that perspective of my skydiving career. Sure. Um, since becoming a pilot being like, I'm having such quality jumps as a coach teaching someone who is flailing all over the place. Sure. It's funny to watch. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. Now I didn't do anything. I'm okay. Just box man all the way down, but I got to see something. And oh, now sure. I like it's, it's for, so take your time. If you're young, gung ho, do as much as you want, but slow it down. Because sure. it will be it will be quick when you when you get there. Sure. Um, and for the old folks, man, just <laughs> just don't give up. Just don't give up. Now, what about uh, what about people that are uh, battling through an injury, whether it be minor or more serious? Um, how should they be approaching it? I mean, yours was pretty damn serious. Yes. It's uh it's a mental game. It it really is. Um as my rehab was progressing, uh I had it to actually change m- some of the thoughts that I had to to go through and be like, okay, well, physically you're getting better, mm. but mentally like the re- my entire recovery before like the moment I, I hit the ground to my first jump back was 14 months. Mm. So I was on the ground and work in rehab for 14 months before I, I, I physically made that jump again. And, um, that's when I, I, I learned to continue pushing my, my boundaries, but, pulling back and saying like think think twice okay when you do woodworking you always measure twice before you cut because if you measure it wrong and you cut you're like (laughs) it's done (laughs) so i had to measure my thoughts carefully about like yeah let's let's plan this a little bit better sure uh so so as you're recovering, plan better. Sure. Uh, be like, well, if it takes me this amount of time to recover and, you know, change all your thoughts to being like more rational. Well, what happens if you were to take twice as long for that same 
same sure. thought that you're having. Now you're gonna you're going to, in my perspective, I think that that's where you're gonna recover a lot faster. Sure. Because the physical part is is one thing. You can't always well, you can control the physical aspect of recovering, but right. the mental uh it's it's a very unique thing. Sure. Well, I mean it's a big the game. Brain, too, the brain right? is, yeah. It's it's difficult to go through a trauma like that and uh, um have part of yourself desperately motivated to go back and do the exact same thing that put you in this position. And then another part of you going, how fucking stupid are you? You want to keep doing this. And it really does boil down to desire uh, and your passion for the sport and your willingness to play it a little smarter next time, play it a little safer you know, and of course, be willing to still accept that risk, you know, yeah, which is an interesting so, thing, right? So that's why I, I took more time mentally preparing. Like every time I do a jump, well, I know that when, when I'm ready to land, I look at my surroundings a lot more sure. than what I was before sure sure i have a smaller parachute now and everything comes a lot quicker but it took it 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 was that slow and steadiness after the injury of being like oh yeah now (laughs) to it's a hell of a reality check right (laughs) that's right that's right so you're like slow it down i could have learned that lesson with a twisted ankle god damn it (laughs) (laughs) well look I'll tell you what, man, um, I cannot wish you more luck in your career in aviation. It's always super cool to talk to people that are just getting started in it. And I've loved seeing so many of skydiving brothers and sisters uh, turn towards aviation as well, whether it's flying or some other form. So I can't tell you how happy I am for you and, and can't wait to follow along how good it gets. And uh, I hopefully one day I'm sitting in the back and look up and and see the big Lebowski sitting up in the uh, in the captain seat flying me around. Man. <laughs> uh, I think I think I can pull it off. I'm probably gonna have a hard time pulling it off um, when I'm trying to get the job. But once I get the job, it's probably gonna be a lot more of like letting that hair go and and oh, potentially. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Once uh, once you're in, it's fine. I'd love to see it, man. Well, I'll tell you what, Sean, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down. It's been a long time since we got to catch up and it's been great talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. It was a lot of fun and let's do it again because I actually have questions I want to ask you. It's, it's, it's almost as if I need to reverse the roles here and ask you the lunatic fringe questions, you know? Hell yeah, man. We'll do a round two down the road for sure. All right. Sounds All good, right, brother. Man. Take it easy. Take care. You too. Bye. And there you have it, another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. 
by Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to youtube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around. Damn. <laughs>